How is everybody? Good. Good. He's on. I'm on. They like me more than I like you. So, this is our last week of our story. And if I don't sit down, I'll ramble. But this is the last week of our story. And if you don't know, if you haven't been here, this has been um, pretty amazing. And if you're a guest, we welcome you here. We're glad you're here. We want you to have fun. We want you to have a great experience. But most of all, we want you to feel Jesus because that's the whole reason we do what we do. Because if we don't do that, there's no reason to be here. That's right. Anybody? That's right. So if we don't feel Jesus, there's no reason to even be in the house. So what we're doing here, so we're glad you're here. <laughs> if you don't know, I'm unorthodox at times. Um, so we're glad you're here. But what we've been doing is this. In Hebrews chapter 11, in the Bible. <laughs> in the Bible. In the Bible. In the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 11, there, uh, it's called the Faith Hall of Fame. And it starts with, uh, for faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we have to have faith to please God. Scripture also says that. But then it goes on to say that for by it, talking about faith, the elders obtained a good report. And then Hebrews 11 goes on to list those elders. And it's people like Noah and, and, and uh, the three Hebrew children, all those guys. Like Noah built an ark. And I've said this three times, I think. We're not going to build an ark. <laughs> You're not going to get thrown in a cage with lions and, and people hope they eat you. Um, those kinds of things, God willing, will not happen to us. So I found myself at some point having this disconnect between Bible stories and our life. Because it's cool to read about Noah taking 120 years to build an ark and then it rained and he, he saved humanity because of his obedience to God. And it's cool to read about uh, all of what Joseph did and all the people in the Bible. But when it comes time for me to deal with my anger or my frustration or my abuse or my addictions and those, those types of things, how does that translate over? So the whole idea behind this is the next chapter, Hebrews 12, 1 says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud or group of witnesses, that's Hebrews 11, let us throw off every weight that slows us down and the sin, who sinned? Anybody not ever sin? <laughs> Anybody not ever sin? I'll ask it again. You're lying. You, you can now raise your hand for the other question. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all sinners, and guess what? You're all going to sin again. So since we, we throw off the weight and the sin that so easily slows us down and run with patience the race that God has marked out before us. So the whole idea, the premise behind this is we are telling our story. We're creating, not creating, we're not adding to the Word of God, but we're giving reference points to have a Life Center Hall of Fame of faith in chapter 11 so we can see the people around us yeah. and know what you've experienced, know what I've experienced, and then we can use your testimony and my testimony because faith comes by what? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing, so we're creating faith so we can Hebrews 12. Right. Does that make sense? I'm excited, man. This has been phenomenal. So yeah, it has. Let's, let's put this in context. So we learned in week one that by faith, Megan... At 17 years old, diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, right. Stage three. Yeah. Was singing up here today. Right. With the short hair. So she's now 18 years old and cancer free by wow. faith. Wow. So we learned that by faith, Cabri dealt with anger issues and bitterness toward God because losing her mom. And by faith, Cabri is, is doing well and raising Jamel mm -hmm. and being a single mom. We learned that. By faith, Danielle, Danielle, single mom, addiction, she's clean, yeah. celebrating how many years? 
Five years. Five years. And that was only week one. <laughs> week two, the devil intervened, and I had the flu and couldn't be here. And I was, I was mad as anything, y'all. But week two, we learned that by faith, Kate has been here 40 years about. And single mom working three jobs, raised two boys who are now doctors and successful. And she's like the epitome of someone we can look at for success. She's about to retire. And, and as Sid, and, and they're amazing. And if, if you want to know about how to live your life and, and, and love people and be successful, go talk to them. By faith, they did this. And by faith, Jim and Mary. Oh, my goodness. By faith. Mary came to church for 20, how many years? Over 20 20 years came to church by herself without Jim. Faithful as a clock. Faithful as a clock. Praying for Jim, praying for her family all the time. And last year, last year, Jim came to church. Jim's been baptized. And Jim is stinking on fire. It doesn't get any better. 20 years, she prayed and prayed and prayed, and now Jim is here, and he's, and he's declared he's going to have 25 people this year <laughs> in this place. <laughs> by faith. That's right. So if you're, if you're struggling praying for somebody who hasn't come around yet, by faith, go talk to Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And last week, by faith, we, we, we heard from Aaron that was sitting yeah. right here. And he dealt with depression and suicidal thoughts and self-harm and, and had this awakening in his dorm room on the floor bleeding. And God turned his, right, his life around. Yes. And he's here. He's connected. He's serving by faith. And we heard from Ross. What's up, Ross? <laughs> we heard Ross's story by faith. One of how many kids? Nine? One of nine kids. Addiction at an early age, almost died countless times, and he remembers through a fog in a hospital bed, his brother said there's a better way. And he found N.A., and he found Jesus, and he's been here two years, a little over two years, a little over two years, and he just celebrated 11 years today. And a lot of this side of the church is here because of Ross and Shannon. Yeah. By faith. By faith. And if you don't know, they started a, uh, an NA meeting here on Sunday nights, Sheer Desperation. I'm, yes, I got it. Sheer Desperation. And they're celebrating Ross's 11 years tonight. And if you haven't been by here on Sunday night, the parking lot is full. The street is full. This street is full. And there's standing room only in this place because of NA and what God is doing through that. And they're soon to start a second meeting in this place. It doesn't get any better than that. So we promised you to end this series that we would be up here, the two of us. This is Pastor Andrew and Pastor Scott, and we would tell our story. So here we go. We had, three, we, we had this, this metal box on the back, which heretofore will be used for offering. If you don't want to do one of these, you can drop that in there at any hour. It'll be locked, and you can put money in there. But uh, for up to this point, we've used it for uh, questions. Uh, what do you want to ask us? And we only had three, and it's all the same handwriting, so somebody turned in three questions. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had an analysis done, and we know who it was. Right? I'm a handwriting <laughs> analyst. 
Not really, but I could just tell it's the same handwriting. So, so let me pop in here before you start questions. So I, I, I hate to see this thing. Stand, I'm, I'm having so this much is fun. Just, this has been amazing, and the courageous people that he just rattled off your names, thank you for, for doing that, sharing It takes guts, man. It takes guts, yeah. I'm on this couch today, which feels very weird. <laughs> so uh, one thing I wanted to say, though, uh, obviously we've been talking about our story. Um, you know, it's been... It's been the theme. It's been what we're talking about. And so if you notice in the back, there's a table with picture frames on it. And so we're giving away picture frames today. So if, if you can take one for your family, take one per person, whatever. Uh, but the picture frame is a gift for you. And what we're going to do is, Brianna, wave your hand, Brianna. She's going to be out in the foyer. We kind of have a photo, a photo shoot moment. And if you want to get your family together, we'll take a picture of you. And at the end of today, this week, we'll have an album loaded up on Facebook called Our Story Album. You can download your, your particular family picture, your photo that you had taken today, and you can go to Walmart get, or Target, get it printed off, five by seven, drop it in your frame, sit it on somewhere where you'll remember um, our story, right? So yeah. thank you for being part of this, awesome. um, this group and everybody that helped make that possible. Thank you for your help this week in pulling all that together. And so... Um, yeah, so let's let's do let's this. Let's do this. <laughs> We've known each other how many years? Since like 90... 92. 92. Ish. Yeah, 92. So we, we know each other pretty well. We've been uh, doing ministry together for a long time. Yep. And um, if, if this is the last week of this format, next week the couches are gone, they'll be back over here. And if you want to be screamed at, come next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. We don't scream. <laughs> So this, this is the last week of this series. I, I, too, am sad to see it go because it's, it really it creates so much faith and belief that, that what you're struggling with, if you see somebody talking about it, that God helped them do it, it's, it creates belief in you that you can do it, too. And that's the whole point of this. Today is just the end of this, and uh, this is about you getting some insight into who we are and, and why we think like we do and where this place where our, our vision is, is hopefully going to take us and, and what God has given us. So um, I guess I'm going to start with you. Um. <laughs> Go easy. I'm not as courageous as everybody else. <laughs> so not everybody knows your whole story. Not everybody knows my whole story. So let's start with give me an overview of your life. Okay. So once upon a time. Uh, so basically, I grew up in a pastor's home um, my, my parents, uh, my grandfather, actually my dad's done some research and we've got a lineage of back in the day when, when uh, they had what they called circuit pastors. Basically, you had little country churches and the guy got on a horse and he rode from church to church. and that's, So we have lineage that goes that far back. Uh, but you would have not have known that during my dad's growing up years. He was a little bit of a hellion, maybe a, a whole lot of a hellion, but <laughs> trouble, troublemaker. Um, but God significantly turned his life around because my grandmother was a very faithful woman praying, and, and she also prayed for my grandfather for many years before he came to know Christ. So, uh, so from that, my father became a, a pastor, and then, then we ultimately went to Africa to serve as missionaries. I think they, by the time they retired, it was about 20, 25 years they had served uh, there. So I spent most of my growing up years between living in Africa and, and being in the States. And so, uh, so I've been around church. Literally, I say this all the time. I pick bubble gum from the bottom side of the pews. I don't know that I actually did that. But I chewed some. <laughs> you ate some of it, yeah. So <laughs> that explains that. 
Um, literally, I, I, when I'm saying grew up in church, so when, when they pastored the church in North Carolina, I, they, my mom would bring a playpen uh, back in the days when they had those big bulky playpens, and she would sit it over on the side, and there was a lady, her last name was Hayes, and she fed me candy like all through <laughs> church. It was great. I had a, a great growing up years, right? Um, so, so literally raised in church, uh, lived overseas as a missionary's kid, um, and then from there uh, came back to the States, went to college, and then from college ended up going to seminary, and then my ministry of my met. own started at that point, uh, and that's when I met Scott and Tuana, and uh, so that's kind of like the overview. You met her in Africa. I did, uh, and I have a vivid memory of us in a bus uh, in Kenya, riding out through the wilderness, going to a, a hotel that they had. We had a, an, all the African missionaries converged in Kenya to have a retreat. They had it every couple of years. And so I have a vivid memory. I don't know why this one stuck out, but I remember meeting her on the bus nice. in Africa. Very cool. Quite the history. Yeah. And the lineage. Yeah. Horseback pastors. Well, awesome. We could maybe revive that. I don't know. We'll see how that works. <laughs> I, get, I get the picture of a friar on a horse, a donkey, <laughs> and Tristan calls you friar. He does. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did you... Did you always think you'd be a pastor? When did you think that, like, nope. the family business, all that? No, I, I actually didn't. When I came back uh, to go to college, I, I, I guess the deal was I knew I would be involved in, in ministry of some fashion. And really what I thought I would do is just attend a church and be a great church member. Uh, you know, uh, knowing the other side of the story, I just wanted to be the guy that helped and supported and and so I, I really, I didn't think I would ever be a pastor or in, in a kind of ministry role where I would be speaking in front of people because um, I had like severe anxiety uh, growing up in talking to other people. I was, I was probably the max scale on the introvert level. And, and so I think part of that's probably attributed to we would go and live in Africa for three, three plus years, and then I'd come back to the States and when we were in America, we literally traveled from church to church for a year. And in those days, literally, I'm not lying to you. You can call my parents. <laughs> we had church two times on Sunday, sometimes three, every night of the week except for Monday for a year. So now say I was raised in church. I kind of literally mean that. <laughs> so I pretty much lived for a year in, in that awkward space you know, where you're the new kid all the time. So imagine going to school, brand new school, your first day at school. I lived that first day of school over and over and over and over and over. So you, you show up at church on a Sunday morning. Everybody wants to be nice to you. You're the missionary kid. Ah, you live in Africa. Tell me about it. Can you speak African? Have you seen Tarzan? Do you have a pet monkey? Name them. <laughs> Name the question. I have heard it. I can tell you back in the old days, every, every song in the hymnal that had to do with missions, I knew them by heart. Um, so it, it, there was a mindset that came with that. We were like, you know, paraded around, uh, and I, I'm, it sounds kind of negative right now. I'm not trying to make it sound negative. I'm trying to let you know that as a seven, eight year old, 12, 13 year old, 14, 15 year old, these were awkward moments. So you get invited to go up to a Sunday school class. You feel rude by saying no. You go say yes, and you walk into a classroom of 10 kids. They're all laughing and joking about what happened that week, and here you are, right? 
Is the sympathy thing working? Anybody feeling sorry <laughs> no. for me yet? I'm working it really hard right now. <laughs> no. So, so my point being, I, I developed just a severe anxiety being in strange places talking to strangers. When I came back to the States to go to college, I would literally, I had a hard time going in and paying for gas at a gas station because I was afraid I would have to have more than just, uh, here's my money, I'm leaving, conversation with people. Very awkward. So obviously I did not see myself doing what I do Okay. Today, as a result of that. Very good. What was your biggest challenge? That. <laughs> <laughs> Quick and short answer. <laughs> your biggest hurdle, and how did you fix it? So, I, I, knew, that, I knew that I was not going to just have a life where I did not, was not involved in ministry, because that was, it's what I knew. I thought at one point I would go back to Africa and just work as a missionary, um, but I, can, I remember the day, I can take you to the place uh, where I had that moment with God where there was no, I'll just be a great church member somewhere. Uh, there was that moment when, when that had that personal connection and I knew that God was calling me to step into a role of ministry, of vocal ministry, public ministry. And I remember, the reason why I remember that moment is because I remember saying to God, uh, I think you clearly have the wrong number because in, unless you haven't been hanging around with me for the last few years, you don't know. 17 years, you don't know what I'm struggling with. And I remember clearly that the Lord just dropped this in my, in my mind, and it was the story of, of Moses. And when God called Moses, Moses said, you know, I can't be your spokesperson. I, spokesperson. I, have, a, I have a speech problem. I can't talk to people. And God was like, don't worry about it. I'll give you somebody to do all the talking. Then when you read the Old Testament, Moses did all the talking. <laughs> so... Clearly, God empowered him to do that. And so that was my moment when I realized, okay, I'll do this. And how did I overcome it? Um, what is it they say when you get thrown off a horse or you wreck your bike, you just get back up and keep doing it? So literally, my first message, 15 handwritten pages on a full-size legal pad, and I might have got 10 minutes worth of speaking out of that. Scared to death. I think I wore the pastor's bathroom out. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily uh, go away no uh, I was nervous before I got up here this morning yeah I'm still nervous so it's my turn okay why don't you give us an overview I'm a redneck <laughs> no for real I was born in Kentucky and uh, lived there until I was 12 my parents then moved us to Indiana when I was 12 culture shock we had gone to church my whole life I seriously did eat bubble gum off the bottom of the fuse and my dad spanked my rear end for that so hard. He's like, boy, you're going to get a disease. <laughs> and um, he called me boy all the time like that. It was fun. And um, so we moved to Indy. My dad got in ministry when I was 12. So I don't have the horseback pedigree. I'm more of a mutt. Um, so we moved to Indiana when I was 12. My dad was working in a church, and I was going to high school. And I did not. My crazy story is my dad, when I was 12, we were in church at a, a rally somewhere, and my dad said God told him to buy this big Thompson chain King James Version Bible because I was going to preach. And I was, and so he really? bought, yeah, I've still got it. He bought this Bible, and it, it, I guess, you know, God did talk to him really. <laughs> I guess he really did hear from God. So he bought this Bible when I was 12, and, and I did not want anything to do with ministry. When, when I was a kid, it wasn't cool to go to church like it is now. Yeah. So, you know, when... I told the story before. We'd be at a gas station. We lived like 20 minutes from church, and that was back in the day when you got gas, $5 gas every other day. 
and you didn't fill your car up once a week. You had $5 every, every two days, and the cars didn't get good gas mileage. So we had on our way to church, and I, I was like 10, 11 years old, so I had to pump the gas because my dad worked like crazy. So weeknights, mom was taking us to church by herself, and uh, I had to pump the gas. And, you know, my friends would pull up, and they're in their ball clothes and stuff. Where are you going? Shopping. <laughs> I just straight lied. I'm like, I'm not telling them I'm going to church on Tuesday night and Thursday night. It's not happening. So I, I really grew up not wanting anything to do with, with ministry at all. I was super, I didn't have anxiety. I'm just a super shy person. If I meet you for the first time and get a complete sentence out, I'm doing well. And that's, I'm not exaggerating at all. I am really a shy person. So God is pretty amazing in that aspect. So we moved to Indiana. I graduated high school there. I joined the Marine Corps, went to California, um, came back. I had a, a semester to kill between coming back from California to Indiana and college starting. I was going to Purdue to uh, do teaching. And um, my sister was in studying music at the school. You were already there. And she's like, you should come, because I was just working, waiting to blow a semester. And she's like, you should come down here and, and hang out for a semester. I'm like, I'm not coming to no, uh, no. And I, I'm like, I am just, it's not happening. I'm not doing it. So finally, I was bored. <laughs> I was bored, this so I'm very, like, okay, I'll very go. Spiritual, it's very, very I, spiritual. It, I haven't, I haven't reached a spiritual awakening yet. Okay, <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. I'm, I'm 18 years old, 19 at this point, and um, I, I was bored, so I'm like, okay, I'll go. It doesn't cost that much money, so I'll go down, and I did. And uh, she, she was expecting me, so she was on campus, and it was like these dorms and student center and stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm me. I'm, I'm a marine, and. I didn't do church that much, really, and I'm going to seminary for a semester. It's crazy. So I pull on campus, and I've, I'm, I didn't realize what I was doing, but I had my windows down a little bit, and I'm blaring Van Halen. <laughs> and it's just loud. So she comes around, you got to turn that down. <laughs> I'm like, why? <laughs> so still haven't had the spiritual awakening yet. In that semester, I did. <laughs> God really rattled my chain, and, and the... <laughs> Who's leaving church after today? <laughs> Come on. Maybe we need to think this one through next time. <laughs> so really, I, I really had this, this, the most amazing encounter I'd, I'd ever had to that point in my life with God that semester, and I didn't leave. Yeah. And I met Tawana. My roommate actually dated Tawana, and um, I was dating somebody else. We went on double dates together with different people. So I met her there, and then we got married in 93, and we came here in January 94. And I was a student pastor for um, a good long time. And then, um, let's see, we moved to Kentucky for three years. My mom passed away in 05. And we so came. you, you kind of answered the second question. Clearly, you did not think oh, you were no. going to be a pastor. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so, not at all. Uh, since we've got that one established, uh, <laughs> what? I, I actually guess, said there's no, no way I'd, yeah. ever. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't say that. And I know your dad. And he probably just looked at you and said, boy. <laughs> we'll and my, my dad's the kind of guy that when I would be going out at night, and he, he'd be like, what are you going to do? And I would tell him where I was going. He's like, if Jesus comes back, are you going to be ready? <laughs> acid, man, just straight acid. So I had to think about that all night when I was sinning. Let me just tell you, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's not near as hardcore as it was back in those days, man. <laughs> Uh, so, um, what was your, uh, I guess, you know, you've kind of highlighted some things, but what, 
what was your biggest hurdle or challenge in, in realizing that? So something significant happened to you at college that, that semester. Right. What, what did you see as like, okay, there's no way I'm going to be able to t go from, from that point to where I well, am. Well, I now. knew when, I, when, I, when that happened that I basically had to either submit to God or be miserable. Um, because when I looked back over the path that it took me to get there, God was pretty much kicking my tail for months up to that yeah, point to yeah. get me to that place. So, number one, my stubbornness and not wanting to do this. And I was extremely shy, so I'm like, there's no way I could ever do something like that. And the third thing was, it was a developing thing, and I didn't like church. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't like church. Um, we're going to unpack that in a couple yeah, of questions. Yeah, we're going to. Yeah. So that was my shyness and, and my baggage. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you that think that being raised in church, you don't have baggage, we can go get coffee. I can explain that later. <laughs> he likes coffee. <laughs> you, you, uh, I heard one, one Christian comedian said, um, you know, being raised in church, you, you, you just learn how to sin in church. <laughs> yeah, there's measured truth to that. Yep. I hope y'all weren't thinking it's going to be formal. <laughs> so I think we got some. We're going to go to some questions that were. Yeah, I'm, we're going to we're, we're going to do this in segments. Obviously, we just did a basic thumbnail of us, and we're going to cover the three questions that were given to us in the back, and then we're going to talk about some discussion stuff about the church in specific. So the first question submitted back there was, "When were you saved?" So um, my my kind of moment. Uh, my first God encounter moment, I was really young. I was like five and a half years old. Yeah, really young. And, and when we were, so this was our first year when we were in Africa. And um, we, we went to church every Sunday morning. And, and they have church for like hours <laughs> and hours. <laughs> And hours. I've literally been in church sometimes the entire day. So we learned quickly that we couldn't do that. So, <laughs> so but so much of it was done in, in another language, multiple languages. Uh, my dad would speak, and it would be with two or three interpreters at a time. Um, and so you get very disconnected, you know. And so my parents would come home, and on Sunday nights we would kind of have devotionals, devotions as a family and pray together. And it was actually in that moment uh, when I had my God encounter that young, and, and I was baptized in our bathtub. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. I was 12. So I wasn't the, f the five-year-old. I was, I was 12. And um, it's very clear who the spiritual one is in it this is. duo. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it just takes God a lot longer to deal with me. I'm a little slow. I remember I, it was January 24th, Tuesday night, 1884 when I got baptized, and our church was building a new church, and it was a little bit bigger than this, and it was roughed in, which yeah. means it had a roof and windows and doors, and it was yeah. all concrete block and concrete floor, and it had no heat, and the only electricity it had were temporary lights strung from front to back, and they had the baptistry where the baptistry was going to go, but there was no heat, and it was a horse trough, yeah. and it was January, and it was cold, and at 12 years old, that, that dude, that was miserable, but stammering lips and all that, but uh, <laughs> it was just, yeah, that was... January 1984. So, so the interesting thing about this, right? How old were we on that trip, that trip in Africa? Do you remember? So, so five is when I had my first encounter. My next major God encounter was on that trip at 14. Wow. Yeah. 
my next one was right before I went to college, and then really at college, that right. was when God really got my attention. So the next question, how do you balance ministry, family, career? We do a lot of dropping and falling. <laughs> um, you ever see those guys do... Uh, like sometimes the Inner Harbor, there's those those magicians down there that do juggling acts and and balance and stuff. And they, you know, one guy had a, I was down there one time and he was riding a unicycle and the unicycle was like ten feet tall, um, and he's balancing things. Well, the thing about balance is you're constantly moving, right? You don't, you never see those guys get on top of their ten foot unicycle and just sit there, do they? They're constantly moving. If you try to balance a broom in your hand, what are you doing? You're constantly moving. So. There is no such thing as a resting point in balancing life, work, and ministry, and family, and all that stuff. You're constantly moving, and you get one area comfortable, and then the next area needs a little attention. You get one area figured out, then you got to focus on the other one. So there's never a resting point in the sense that, ah, I can kick back into the easy chair, and I've solved all these problems. So the thing, the thing is, I think... From what I've learned in, in 46 years of living and 24 uh, of that in ministry um, is you're just constantly adjusting. You're constantly adjusting. And you, you don't want to sacrifice one for the other. You should never have to sell out your family for the sake of ministry. You should never have to sell out your ministry for the sake of your career. You should never have to sell out your career for the sake of your family. I mean, you may not be in ministry, but you got a career and you got a family. You got a job, you got a family. You're doing the same thing that we're doing. Um, it's just it takes constant attention and work. Very good. How do you do it? Uh, sometimes I don't. Um, yep. Sometimes there just isn't balance. It's imbalance. And that's, yeah. that sounded funny, but it's the, it's the truth. It's very true. Sometimes I just fail at it. Um, I'm not a list person. Tawana is. She's helped me with that. And... Google Calendars help me with that, and notes in my reminders in my phone. Uh, I'm, that's just logistically, you know, when to do what and what hat to wear at that moment and when to take that one off and put the next one on. Um, it's for the vast majority since 94, we've both been bivocational, which means we do this and work another job. And there was a point, and I think Tristan had just been born back, it's been a while ago. And I was just like, you know, I, I'm pretty much toast. I'm done. So there, there are times where it gets overwhelming. You're trying to balance the whole thing. And in the grand scheme of things, my relationship with God comes first. My family comes next. And then my ministry. Uh, you, you shouldn't have to sell one out for the other. But in, in the grand scheme, if it comes down to it, I will pick my family over ministry because that's what Scripture says I'm supposed to do. Because if the Bible says if we don't provide for our own, that's just not financially. It's emotionally and spiritually. If I'm not doing that, then I'm worse than an infidel, which is an unbeliever. That's what Scripture says. So my, my first responsibility is my family. So sometimes that's a challenge. It, it, it is. Because I have to provide for them financially and emotionally and spiritually. And, then, and that requires the job. And then this is another job. And the balance of that sometimes is, is overwhelming. So along those lines, has, um, has ministry ever challenged your marriage? 
Yeah. <laughs> That's the short answer. Not in a not in a not not in the way of fidelity. Not in the no, way of no. there being somebody else. Which that that is a huge thing. That does happen. Yeah. How many times do you hear of a pastor having an affair or inappropriate relationship with somebody because number one, you're an authority figure, and number two, um, it's an it's I guess glamorous to some degree, and it's easy to get attention or for people to want attention. That hasn't been an issue because I've seen it happen. And we have safeguards against that. That said, guys, if your girl ever tells you that somebody's after you, listen, because they usually are. Okay, listen. Don't don't just dismiss that because right. that's it's usually true. Yeah. Okay, so that that's God puts the woman in our life for to keep us safe sometimes. So I would say the challenge more came from the strain there's only been one time in it'll be 25 years in august that uh tawana's like i cannot do this and that was a, a moment for me to pull up and check and say okay it's time to pull back and let's reevaluate and and we went a complete different direction than what we were doing so that was the biggest challenge that we faced i think and if, if i had continued down the path if i had been stubborn and said bless god i'm the man i'm the head of the house and you're going to listen to me uh, we probably would have had major issues. But the one thing that saved us, and every, every person that I counsel for uh, premarital counseling or any kind of marriage counseling, we made a promise to each other at the beginning of our marriage to never, and this is an absolute, never threaten divorce. And we never have in 25 years. So that right there, it lets you... That lets you view things through a different lens because it's, that's not an option, so we have to do something else besides we don't leave, we don't sleep in different beds, and we don't talk about divorce. Amen. Amen. Now you answer that question. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, my wife is amazing. <laughs> She's had to put up with a lot. Uh, there's been more than just one time when my wife looked at me and said, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> apparently, I'm a little slower than you are on that front. Um, I, same thing with us, though. You know, you make the commitment, and, and there's really no backing out of the commitment. Um, and so ministry does have a strain on marriage. Um, and, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say that my wife and I weren't in the office prepping for things that need to be done today and having a tough time of it. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's just real. It's, it's where we live. Um, and and uh, it's not always easy, but there's, I, I kind of feel the same way you do, Scott, um, that my marriage, I think, is the is the greatest gift next to salvation that I've received, and so I have an obligation, responsibility, and it's my duty and my calling to make sure that that is what it's supposed to be. And I I had to learn. I was slow growing up. Uh, I mean, I grew up at forty five. Uh, <laughs> He's forty six. <laughs> so you know, there was a lot of I I was raised in in a. You know, in a great home, but but in in that era, that time frame, uh, ministry was 
was your was your your noble cause and there are many peers of of my of our parents that their families are in shambles that were mm-hmm. in ministry because there was not a balance between ministry and and uh, family in fact family ended up coming last yeah. in so many cases and so you got kids that have want nothing to do with it because of what they saw their parents go through and and I mean and you're carrying the you're carrying the load and weight of other families and other people and and you don't you come home and you're like I don't want to deal with problems at home I've been dealing with problems all day at the you know at church or whatever so all those things but you, you know you saw happen and then you start to learn I don't I don't want that so so we've 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 worked through that uh, and we're still working through it it's not you don't arrive at this magic place right marriage <laughs> is the greatest thing in the world and you will work harder at that than anything else you do in life, if you want it to be the greatest thing in the world. Your choice, right? Awesome. We've decided that we're going to make it the greatest thing in the world. Very good. That's all the questions we got. We're, we're, we're running tight on time. I don't want to, is everybody okay? I don't want to second, I don't want to shortchange what we're about to do, because this is about church, and this is about this church, and where we're going, and all that kind of stuff. Is everybody all right? Can you hang a few more minutes? Except for you got the tissues, <laughs> Thanks, Jer. <laughs> okay, um, this is about church. So, what, um, Andrew, what has shaped how you approach ministry here? Um, so, I, I obviously won't go into a lot of length, but when I left seminary, Bible college, went straight into working in churches, and obviously grew up in, a, my dad wasn't a pastor I was really too young to remember that, so I just remember him as a missionary, so that was different um, than, than pastoring a single church, the kind of work he did. But um, there, was, there were many things that I saw growing up and even did, you know, learning ministry, that I realized if I was ever in a position to, to like, make some decisions, I think I would make them differently from the perspective that I came from. And, and so, um, so much has shaped how we do ministry here, and I would be lying to you if I did not say that some of what we do right now, I literally have learned in the last two years. Um, yeah, really. And I will, I will be very bold to say that our our um, our NA team has really impacted my life in a very very different way when I approach ministry here. Right. So there's a lot of things that that factor in there. Um, and I don't really feel like I answered the question, but you, did. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard to grab. It is. Because a lot of influences um, have led us to where we are right now. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm going to say it's been as in all things when God deals with me, apparently, because I'm slow. Um, it's been a real journey. When we were in college, we had this instructor, professor, whatever he was. Um, that gave us this assignment, and it, most people, when you're in college, you get an assignment. Some of them you think, well, this is just stupid. And this is, he gave me this assignment, and I'm like, well, this is just stupid. He said, take out a sheet of paper and write down 25 things you believe. Not about, like, the sky is blue. Specifically when it comes to God and salvation. Write down 25 things that it shapes who you are. So I'm like, dude, I got this. I was all enthused. And I made my list, and he, he collected them, and we went back next class, and he gave us our grades verbally, 
And he's like, I'm not giving your papers back. And, I, and we're like, why not? He said, I'm going to mail them to you in five years. Ten, was it ten years? Ten years? I'm going to mail these to you in ten years, and we'll see where you are. I was 19 when I wrote that stuff. And in that environment, I was regurgitating a lot of what I had been taught and told to that point. And so I, that was 19. So at 29, I get this letter in the mail from this instructor. I'm like, why is this dude sending me a letter? I didn't like him, and he didn't like me. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. We didn't get along. And um, just because it's seminary doesn't mean we're not people, right? We just didn't mesh. And he sent me this, this paper, and I'm like, what in the world is this? So I open it up, and I start reading it. And I'm like, I was... I was just floored at what I had put on this paper. And it was more what not to do. Yep. Out of 25, I'm going to say 18 of them said don't. It started with don't. And I'm like, what am I doing? And I'm, I don't want to offend anybody. Okay, so don't take this wrong. This is just my journey. So I look at this, and then I open... I look at some other documentation I have that I sign, and it's all don't, 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 and I'm like, how can I lead somebody to Jesus if all I do is, is say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you'll be saved? So Acts 1.8 says that we receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on us, and we'll be witnesses to everybody. So that's, that's basically the Great Commission. Go ye therefore, teach, you know, baptize and, and teach them. So that's, that's our job. So if I'm encountering somebody and I say, and they say, what do I have to do to be saved? And I give them my 25-item list of don't? What does, that, what does that do? I'm not teaching anybody. So I'm at 29 years old. I've been in ministry now for eight years at this point, And I'm, I'm just, I'm floored. And I'm like, what do I do with this? So at 29, I started this journey of how to turn this paradigm, and instead of saying, when somebody says, what do I do, instead of saying, well, don't, 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 that's just simply behavior modification. A monkey can learn that, and it's got nothing to do with salvation. What do I have to do? How do I positively affect other people? How do I teach people to be the salt and light in the earth? How do I teach people to show other people the path to Jesus and show people, what about the fruit of the Spirit? So what about all those things begin to percolate? And then we, you know, it, that's how, <laughs> I'm not going to go any deeper than that, but that's, that's how my approach to ministry changed. At that, it started there and then has morphed until where we are right now. So what is that? Um, um, so what do you feel from that and from what I said? What does that what makes, um, what makes the life so unique? Well, <laughs> what makes us unique? Our, our tagline, our motto, if you will, is Real Life Church. And I believe that, I said one of my things for not wanting to get into ministry is I didn't like church. I still don't like church. I mean, church is in like formal religion. 
I like what we do. I love Sundays. I don't like religion, and I don't like anything that smells like it or looks like it or feels like it. What makes us unique and, and trying in the whole thing to be real? Quick story. I, think, I may have told this here before. I've been told Seinfeld jokes in, this, in the baptistry. Um, I, I, we always ask, when somebody comes for prayer, we always say, what are, what are we praying for? And pe- I love dealing with people that don't know. And, and it puts some people off, but I love it. This girl came for prayer, and I didn't know she had just had surgery. Didn't know. Didn't have a clue. And, and I'm like, what are we praying for? And she just lifts her shirt up and shows me. And she, like, cut from stem to stern and had staples and didn't think a thing about it. There was a person praying with me next to her that, they're like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and that would be a first reaction, but I'm like, okay, let's pray. It's real. And, and what, I, our, what makes this church unique is I feel like we can talk about anything we can, we're going to experience a lot together. The Bible says to do things decently in order, and we do that. But it doesn't say to be religious. It actually, the, the, the very people that crucified, that led to Jesus' crucifixion were the people that he was offending because he came against the form of that. Wouldn't you say it's because it's impossible to, to truly develop a relationship, any kind of relationship, if it's fake? I would say even when I was in college and did that list, I didn't have a relationship with God. Right. right. I didn't. Right. I was regurgitating what I had heard, yep. but I didn't know Jesus like I do now. Yep. And so what we feel, and we, we fight for this, at, the, at this, this community of believers, it's about being real. You can't really address your issues if you can't be real. You, you can't, it's not enough to say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Sometimes you need to unpack and say, you know what, God, I've been doing, I'm hating this guy that I work with. I can't stand his guts. I can't stand when he walks in the room. You know, God, I'm, I'm having an issue with my, with my marriage. It's just, it stinks. I don't, I don't like my wife today. I, sometimes, you know, there's a very different, that's a very different prayer than Lord, forgive me of my sins. I didn't have to commit to anything saying that. I just kind of let that stuff sit out in the ether somewhere. No, you're healed when you start opening up that heart. And you can't, you can't, that's why he said, and we've said it through the course of these, of this, these stories, we don't, do, we don't do religion. We do Jesus. We want to do connection. We want to do healing because we want to live in freedom, not carrying baggage, not yeah. hiding behind a facade. I would say, and then we got to hurry, but I would say one of the, one of the biggest probably barometers I use is when we, when we pray here on Sundays and people come to us, it's... I, don't, I rarely hear I'm struggling. I hear things like, I wanted to cheat on my wife last week, or I'm struggling with pornography, or I hate this person. It's, it's like we're talking about you feel comfortable enough when you walk up here, you can say, this is what I'm dealing with. Right. And that's the environment that you don't, we don't want you to have to come up here and be fake to us or to be fake to each other. That's why we're doing this. You're seeing yeah. the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right. but you're seeing that by faith we're doing it. We're walking together. And we're, we're getting better. So what makes us unique is that. Yeah. And the, I've, the, I've never experienced anywhere else. Me either. Me what either. we do here. And the message is, the reason why we do that is not so we can all wall around with our problems. No. It's because God provides hope. 
And you don't have to live like that anymore. And if you keep coming every Sunday and we pray for the same thing, we're just going to keep praying for the same thing. And then we're going to take some action to figure out how to fix it. How do we break this cycle of uh, addiction? How do we fight when you can't seem to shake off pornography? How do you fight through when your marriage just can't get out of its own way? There are people around here that are willing to do life with you and work with you and fight with you. Right? Because... Our mission, the ultimate mission, is to help you find freedom so you can help somebody else find freedom. Yep. That's the whole thing. So that's, that's what we feel makes us here at this church unique. The future yeah. of TLC. How do we keep that vision alive? We, <laughs> there, are, there are certain things we meet at least once a week and talk and go over things and, and just... Where are we at right now? Where are we going? Where are we at? Where are we going? Are we, we have certain truths that we basically keep first and foremost in our talks, in our meetings that are non-negotiables for us. Um, our, our spirituality, uh, what we're pursuing, what we're promoting, advocating, all those things. We keep that vision pure by keeping that right here. Right. This is, this is who we are and this is what we will not negotiate. And, and there are... There are some things that can change by the week. I don't care. You know, whatever it takes, Bible says to go out in the highways and byways and compel yeah. people to come. So we can, you know, if we have to give away picture frames, Chick-fil-A, whatever we do in different series and stuff, let's do it, man. Let's, let's do it big. But how do we keep the vision is we keep it present and we keep it visible. And, and we, we be, we're very vigilant about certain things. Right. And one of those things, I, I I've just kind of want to say this. One of the things that we're very vigilant about is we do not want um, we do not want to be what I call a plastic church. And what I mean by plastic church is there's been such a, a shift in the way church is done that you can pretty much go any city in our country and visit you know a church of a similar like non-denominational church and they're all somewhat the same you'll hear some of the same songs and and they'll go about the the formal function in church very similar so it's not like one's going to be drastically different than the other but one thing that that we've noticed over the course of of the progression of church is how sometimes it gets very it becomes a place where uh no one really looks past the initial greeting no yeah. one no one wants to pray with you in an area that you're struggling with you keep it very surface and so one of the things we guard is to make sure that the spirit of god is always present here and we do that by making sure that we're praying about it we're seeking it and we have a purpose for what we're doing and every everything is undergirded with prayer and a people lot of that people pray every single day pray constantly every single yeah. day right. so that's one of the non-negotiables yeah. so that's that's how you protect the future um how does vision become reality <laughs> well growth track starts today <laughs> so if you don't know growth track starts today what is growth track growth track is is a four-week class that we do that if you haven't gone through it you need to and it helps you the the four the four steps that we're going through is to to find to know jesus that's right. the first thing that everybody needs to do the second thing is to find freedom from whatever it is that you've dealt with that has the negative stuff that has shaped where you are and who you are. The third thing is finding your God. Everybody in this room has a God-given, God-ordained purpose, and you, who you are as a person, your gifts, your talents, all flows into that purpose. And then the fourth week is about finding where yeah. 
you can apply that to make a difference in this community and the, the larger community as well. And right. that, that is it. That's it. How does the vision become reality is by people doing this and assimilating and uh, getting to be part of the Life Center's community. And it's the Dream Team, which is our, our group of volunteers. And there are a lot of you that yeah. do stuff here every week and Monday through Saturday to make what we do here on Sunday possible. So right. that is, that's how it becomes reality is one by one. It's about somebody getting involved. It's, it's about giving of our time. We have three things, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we all have them. We all have them. And once we give those things back to God, number one, we're blessed. Yep. But number two, we start to affect other people. Whether given our time and volunteering, being in small groups, uh, whatever it is we do, uh, our talent, what do you do that the kingdom of God can benefit from? And three, our treasure, the biblical stewardship. That's what makes this happen. It, it, Pastor Philip said it's not just about keeping lights on. It is not. It's about, it's about God talking to you and you sowing financially in the kingdom of God. It is about keeping lights on. It is about buying keyboards and drums and, and all those kinds of things and, and carpet and making sure, you know, all that stuff happens. That's logistics. But all those things come together. That's how vision becomes reality. It's, it's, not, a, you know, it's not like Lucky Charms, magically delicious. It doesn't just happen. It happens one step, one person, one thing at a time, and it builds. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. That's it, man. That's it. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it becomes a reality. And if, if you've been around for a minute, you know, it, it's right now, Life Center's in a really good spot. Really good spot. We're, we're seeing awesome growth, buy-in. Uh, and there's community happening all the time, man. I mean, we, you don't always get to hear the stories of, of people that are going through a hardship and another family in the church just uh, meets them. I mean, there are people that get fed, uh, you know, throughout the week because they maybe went to the hospital, had surgery, um, something bad happens. They, people just rally, and that's what this community is about. Because we're really living Jesus out, right? We're doing what he called us to do, and that is to connect with people, engage with people. So thank you for, uh, for being with us through this series. Thank you for helping us wrap this up. This was, this was life-changing for, for me to go through this. It's just outstanding, and, and uh, I'm so grateful to be a part of this community with all of you. Amen. We went way over today way but thank you for hanging out thank you for listening and it's it's our hope you know you got two guys up here that didn't think we'd be doing this number one if you, you heard what I said there's no way I should be doing what I'm doing right now but God has a plan yes he does and our story is what shapes who we are but our story is what affects somebody else that's right it's hopefully something was said in these four weeks that will help you with where you are that will help you with what you struggle with that will help you with what God is talking to you about for your future I, I gotta stand up um, I believe that everybody in here has purpose and I will go as far as to say is everybody in here has a ministry that God wants you to do that's purpose and you may struggle. You may be the person that says, I'm too shy to do what God has called me to do. You may be the person that says, I've got too much of a negative history to do what God has called me to do. Understand and identify that that is simply our enemy. Trying to keep you pinned into where you are so you can't be as effective as you need to be. 
you've heard from the gamut from everybody who's been a good person and worked their tail off and raised kids and done everything right to people who haven't made a right decision until two years ago and everything in between so after this let us throw off every weight and sin and insecurity and past and history and addiction and words that people put on us if somebody's speaking negative over your life you better cut them out I'm dead serious because that stuff takes root if you, if you listen to it long enough all the negative words that have been spoken over you all the people that said you can't do it all the people that said that you'll never amount to anything let's throw all that mess off and run with patience the race that God has put before us that's why we did this so you can hear stories that will build your faith that will energize you to do more and be more for the kingdom of God because it doesn't matter where you've been it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter where you've been it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter if it was yesterday or this morning it doesn't matter what matters is that we're moving forward that's what it's about run with patience or perseverance the NIV says the race that is marked out before us God orders our steps